Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. You know, Flo, I think I need one of those stand-up desks for today. I'm so excited, but because there is a video component now, I'm going to stay seated. Yes. It is good to see you, man. It's Monday, May 7th, 2018 is the year. Uh, good to have you guys with us. Episode 154 of the Anakin Florian podcast. I think the listeners know at this point um, that when we do take a week off, and it's only a couple times a year, we do 50 shows at least a year, but that I miss Kenny more than he misses me and that I'm largely okay with that three-plus years into this podcast. I mean, did you miss me at all last Monday? Of course. You must have because you woke up and you thought we had a show. I did. I texted you. I was like, dude, uh, listen, I might be a little late. I had some kind of excuse. I don't know what the hell was going on. You're like, we yeah. don't have a show, dude. Leave me alone. I was like, oh, okay. All right, fine. I reach out and you're going to tell me we're not going to talk. That's fine. We had the bye week, but uh, hopefully at least you were thinking of me when you were watching the Boston Celtics Dude, over of the course. last week. Of I mean, course. are you kidding me with the these guys? The first thing I said is Annex jumping up and down, and then I was like, how much money did he put on the games? That's yeah, how much did things. he bet on yeah, Philadelphia much, yeah. to try to purchase a Boston victory? <laughs> I got to say, though, man, and it's incredible to watch this Celtics team, and I know a lot of our listeners don't necessarily care about the NBA, but it is crunch time in the United States of America right now for the Stanley Cup playoffs in hockey and the NBA mm-hmm. playoffs in basketball. And our hometown Boston Celtics were massive underdogs going into this series against the Philadelphia 76ers. They were five-point dogs in game one at home, five-point dogs in game two at home, ten-point underdogs in game three in Philadelphia. Scoreboard reads 3-0 Boston despite the fact that there was confetti coming down after the Sixers tied up game three. So I'm a little fired up today. I know the series is not over, and even though no team in NBA history has come back from 3-0 down to win a best of seven, don't let Philadelphia up off the mat tonight, Kent Flo, because mm-hmm. once they get one, they are the more talented team. I think at least according to most of the experts out there, you got to be careful not to let them get any life, if you know what I'm saying. Finish them. Finish them right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing, man. Always always fun to be a Boston sports fan. The last, what, like 10, 10 years? But uh, well, the Bruins, unfortunately, weren't able to get it done, but the Celtics still in it, and without their two premier players, you could argue, and uh, it's it's amazing what they've done, man. Well-coached team, and, and yeah. obviously it's been a good run for Boston, and, and players increasingly want to play there, and coaches want to coach there. This Brad Stevens is unbelievable what he's doing out of timeouts, and just putting this 
undermanned team in a position to succeed every step of the way. Um, and, of course, yeah, the Boston Bruins are done. Tampa Bay Lightning eliminated them. Kentucky Derby over the weekend. Now, Kenny, mm. we have talked off the air about one, at one point going to the Kentucky Derby. You might have even gone to the Derby a couple of years ago. Or did you just go to, like, some fancy Derby park? I went to uh, Santa Anita. I went to Santa Anita. That's right. uh, and I got the invite to go to the Derby, and it wasn't able to go. But, um, yeah, it's fun. It's it's a it's a good time. Of course, you're getting invites to the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> Where do you? Who's inviting you? Is Steve Becker, Fox Sports? Uh, you know, you don't, I don't have to reveal give that away. You know, I guess. But I most people. people, most people who get invited to the Kentucky Derby, even when they have young babies at home, they take that invite. I know it was raining at Churchill Downs, so yeah. the 2018 Derby maybe not the best one for you to go to. But how do you turn that invite down, kid? I'm not like I'm going to go in 2020, and I'm going to spend. It'd probably be 10 G's to get a couple to <laughs> Churchill Downs for like two nights. You know? I'm going to go at some point, man. We had family in town and it's okay. t- it's tough with the baby, but hopefully we'll be uh, we'll be traveling with the baby soon. But it's you know, it's a challenge. I'm sure, you know, better than I do. Yeah. Too yeah. deep so far, kid. Nothing easy <laughs> about it. But uh, I will say, too, on the Kentucky Derby, I have not historically bet the Derby well. I actually hit an exacta box this weekend with justifying good magic to finish yes. one, two in any wow. order. But I lost so much money betting on the Philadelphia 76ers live and before the game that I actually had a, a weekend in the red despite winning almost $800 on the Kentucky Derby. What is so, it worth it, though? That's the most important thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know if it's good for my heart, right? right. The combination of sports betting and, and diet Coke, uh, probably not good for the long-term health. Um, but we have a lot to get into today. I mean, it's a Let's pay-per-view it. fight week, Kenny. I know you're excited. Ray Longo is going to join us here in about three or four minutes. But a big weekend coming up in Rio de Janeiro. My my yellow fever shots and typhoid fever. That's all in the rearview mirror now, Ken Flo. I got this, the prescription for the malaria pills in case we need Jeez. that. But we are, we are ready to go to Rio. Um, but before we do bring on Ray Longo, I just want to get your thoughts on a few things, sort of cleaning out the MMA news desk Shoot. because we have been idle for the last two weeks. So... Damian Maya, your boy Damian Maya, replacing Santiago Ponzinibbio against Kamaru Usman. That's your new main event, Santiago Chile. That fight is 12 days from now, May 19th, mm. on FS1. And I just wanted to get a quick thought from you because Usman was about a minus 220 favorite, according to Las Vegas, against Santiago, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Now he's a minus 400 favorite against Damian Maya. And certainly some of that betting line speaks to the short-notice nature of this fight for Damian Maya. Do you think this is an easier fight on paper, you know, those circumstances are part of the equation. But Vegas suggests that this is an easier fight, Damian Maya, than a prime Santiago Ponzinibbio for Kamaru Usman. Um, do you see it that way? I agree and I disagree. Obviously, Maya taking the fight on short notice. Uh, I think that's why we're seeing the, the, that inflationary price right there on right. Uh, on Usman. Um, but I, I do think any time you get a guy in Usman who... Uh, primarily relies on his grappling game uh, to get it done. Uh, it, it, it could be a challenge. He's Usman's not a Woodley. Usman isn't the kind of guy who can knock you out with one shot like Woodley can, in, in my opinion. Sure, anyone can land a, a shot with four-ounce gloves and, and get a knockout, but he's right. not that threat that Woodley is. Um, and I think that Usman, while he can kind of keep it on the feet a little bit against someone like Maya... I don't know if he wants to do that for that long, which means that it kind of forced him to use his wrestling, try to get on top 
um, you know, stay away from, uh, the, you know, the triangle and submission attacks uh, from Damian Maya. I don't think that's going to be easy for him at all. Um, right. it, it's going to be difficult. Um, you know, Maya is a huge 170-pounder. Uh, he's coming down from the 185-pound weight class. People forget about that. Uh, first of all, I wonder how he's going to deal with that weight cut on short notice. Right. But, right. Um, yeah, that, that's not an easy fight, man. I, again, I, I'm a little surprised by that by that cost well, there. Well, and I think inflationary is, is a good word to describe it. I think Santiago Ponzinibbio might be the most underappreciated and underrated welterweight in the world right now, mm. but this is no picnic, right? I mean, no. people used to avoid Damian Maya like yellow fever, right? I mean, like the plague, yes. people didn't want to go anywhere near that guy. So when the call comes in for Kamaru Usman, Ponzinibbio's out, would you like to fight Damian Maya? The short answer is probably like, you got to be fucking kidding me, kidding me, but I guess here we go. Uh, Usman, you know? Usman is a beast. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him. I still probably consider him a favorite at this point. Um, but uh, for you gamblers out there, uh, I think that's a good price for Maya. And I do, I would say on Kamaru Usman, I have said on these airwaves, he might be the best welterweight in the world right now with respect to Tyron Woodley. So you know how highly I feel about him. Yes. As you said, he deserves to be favored in the fight. I'm just saying Damian Maya, shorter notice or otherwise, uh, no picnic once the octagon door closes. Uh, all right, it did not take your boy Israel Adesanya. I keep saying your boy, but these, some of these guys are your guys. The last style bender, Israel Adesanya. Didn't take him long to get his first UFC main event. It's his third UFC appearance overall, Kenny. All of them here in 2018. It is July 6th, tough finale on the eve of UFC 226. And it comes against the UFC tested Brad Tavares. Now, this is a fight, Kenny, that Adesanya wanted. These guys both competed in mid-April in Glendale, Arizona. So the calendar certainly aligned. But Adesanya, I believe, saying at that time, I'd like it to be a main event, but I'm not sure it'll materialize because I'm clearly the A side in this equation. Adesanya is going to come out of the blue corner here. But, Kenny, he is largely the reason this main event was put together. Your thoughts on Act 3 for the last style bender coming up here against the Hawaiian Brad Tavares? Well, this is interesting because I'm curious to see how Adesanya is going to take this. My take is is that he's probably going to take it as a big-time motivator, as something where he believes the now the organization really believes in him, really sees him as that potential superstar. Um, and that can really shoot him up to the stars with, with a good performance here against Tavares. Or he's starting to go, all right, now I really got to prove myself. Because the last two fights, I don't know if Adesanya would be so proud of those where he's saying, I'm really showing everything that I have. He, he right. hasn't shown that quite yet. Um, so is he going to put more pressure on himself to perform here in the main event? Um, I, I'm curious to see what his mental approach here is in this fight against Tavares because – Tavares is a knockout artist as well. He can knock out anybody in that division. He is right. very dangerous. Um, where Adesanya is going to have the big advantages with his reach, uh, is with his experience in striking, um, and with his speed. He's going to have a significant advantage with his speed uh, and footwork uh, against Tavares. Tavares might just hit harder, though. I, I think he's a guy who, yeah. that if he catches you, you're in trouble. He also might try to switch things up and see some of the success that other guys have had on the ground with Adesanya and try to maybe put him on his back, kind of like Vittori did in that third round. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how Tavares approaches this fight. It's a dangerous one because this is a fight, I think, for a lot of people to say, listen, Adesanya should beat the other striker, Tavares. He's more experienced, but uh, this one is a little scary for me. If you sleep on someone like Tavares, Tavares will knock you out. So uh, I think this is going to be a fun fight. 
And good for BT Brad Tavares getting the main event in his 17th UFC appearance. He's 12 and 4 in the UFC. He's won four in a row. Knocked out Chris Jotko. That was only a few weeks ago, and it was the first finish for Brad Tavares, as we said on the broadcast, since he knocked out Phil Baroni on New Year's Day in 2011. But don't let those stats fool you, because Brad Tavares certainly packs some pop, and he's going to be excited to try to. Uh, to try to sort of halt this Adesanya hype train. And, and for Adesanya, Kenny, I think you're right. He would be the first to tell you that he was underwhelmed by the Wilkinson fight and a little bit by the Vittori performance as well and believes he has a long way to go. But, you know, part of the thing about UFC momentum has to do with just being active. And yeah. there are so many fighters who just take six or eight months off in between fights, and sometimes it is not their own doing. And certainly I know for a lot of the women, they're trying to get fights and they can't get them. But... This is what is going to make Adesanya a star as much as his style, Kenny. It's staying active, fighting three times here in 2018. Guys like Cody Stamen and Brian Kelleher, some of these guys who continue to fight, it keeps them in the realm of consciousness, and I think it's a big reason why these guys have momentum. But I want to table that thought for a second yeah. because we don't keep a good man on hold very long. Let's get to Raymond Peter Longo. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Time now for the Ray Longo Minute. I don't know if you always look that good or, or if I just miss seeing your face. The lighting is off. tremendous. But uh, thank you very much, guys. Man, I missed that week off. You know, I thought we'd, I know. we'd take a week off to promote BattleBots. Is that what happened? <laughs> Kenny, did you throw it? Kenny, did you take a week off to promote the BattleBots? I did. You know what? It's it's about me. I I didn't want to do this podcast. It's about it's about me and my 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 stuff. I thought something was wrong, and then I see you on Ariel Hawani. I go, oh my god! I just I lost my minute for the BattleBots. This is but how clueless I am. I thought we were having a show. I was like, John, all right, I'll see you at around nine forty-five. <laughs> He's like, dude, we don't have a show. You're, get out of here. <laughs> well, Ray, awesome you look stuff. good, and, and the haircut is on point. I guess oh, the man. last time we spoke to you about two weeks ago, look at you. We spent most of your segment, bud, two weeks ago on this whole Marab Tavalishvili controversy. Um, seems to me that his appeal was rejected about as fast as it was uh, submitted. Any update on that front? Man, I tell you, that was quick. I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate um, I appreciate that the 45 seconds they, they took to uh, turn down the kid's appeal. But uh, <clears throat> now before we get going, too, let me just say something. Because I caught, through the grapevine, I caught some heat. I think Nick Nick Lumbo thought I went a little too hard on him. But, uh, look, I, I'm going to reiterate this. Nick is, I know he's a good guy. And, and not for nothing, man, I met his parents once. They're wonderful people. I know his wife. She's a sweetheart. My wife loves Nick. If she even heard me talking like this, she'd probably be busting my balls. But, uh, you know, and again, that stuff I said about, you know, but it definitely was wrong about Hitler. You know, I actually met Mussolini. But, uh, <laughs> Kenny, where are you, buddy? I'm counting on you. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, look, it is what it is, man. Oh, man. I think we we got to see this through, Kenny, just for a change, even if it's yeah. for transparency, with the referees, man, because, I mean, I, it's just the thing doesn't make sense to me. Hopefully it gets pushed to the next level and we could, you know, hear some people talk and get answers. And, you know, look, even I, and the other thing that, you know, I think one we didn't discuss is I really believe Liam did a, a fantastic job in that fight up until the bell. What happens after that bell? That's what I'd like clarified. But, man, he checked that guy for consciousness. He did a great job. He let the fight go on. 
you know, and even if he would have stopped it and Marab wasn't out and he said to Marab, dude, I thought you were going to die. I, I really was there to protect you. Right. That's good, too. You know what I mean? But something. But we still have to hear from him. And I just wish he would have, you know, it's just weird that Nick was walking over to Goddard with the scorecards. I wish Liam would have just said, hey, dude, I just I stopped the fight. We're going to the scorecards. Take a stance. Believe in what you, you know, you did. I think you did a great job. And let's take it from there. And I, I just hope it gets pushed legally to the point where we get to hear everybody speak. And that would be good. And I think, again, it's not a good thing. I'm not against the athletic commission. I'm not against. It's about really now. Let's let's pick something. It's not about Marab getting a win or a loss. Nobody gives a shit. Even he doesn't. But let's get the transparency where we can at least hear from the the ref that was right on the scene. I mean, it just. Right. You know, and why was why did we hear from Goddard? Why didn't we hear from Keith Peterson? I mean, I, I just I'm confused on everything as usual. And let's get some consistency and let's get a little transparency. And I think we make a big stride just with that. And if it takes keep pushing this thing, I think that's what we're gonna do. But again, I'm not crying about the win or the loss. And if you no, if I you know. really think about it, and if you really want to hear somebody speak really well, I think it was brilliant. Listen to Chael Sonnen's take on this. I didn't even know that. Uh, Ricky Simon was his guy, but he said just by looking at it, it looked like the guy was all right. All you could do is tell me what you observed. That's all we wanted. And Chael does a good job with that. And like I do, I'm just telling you what I observed. I don't know. You know, I didn't know what, whatever the rules are of that, but what I observed is that kid was all right, period. And yeah, you got to go back and listen to him. I thought he did a great job on articulating that. And, uh, again, Ricky Simon's his guy. And, look, we don't want nothing taken away. Ricky Simon and Marab had a great fight. I think that's what's – I think it sucks for the both of these guys to have to even deal with this because I'm sure Simon, who fought a, a great fight, is now he gotta, he's got to hear shit from people. He didn't win the fight. Marab's got to hear shit that he was out. So it kind of sucks for both of those guys who really went to war and put on a great show for everybody. So – Make yeah. a couple of changes. I'm happy. I know people are telling me not to rant and give you guys a chance to talk, so I'm going to try to slow <laughs> down a little bit. That's what I'm well, feeling right now. It's hard, Kenny, because I promised myself I wouldn't rehash this again because we could do the yeah. whole show on it, right? I, I actually put out a statement on my Instagram feed, which I don't think, Kenny, I have ever done before, just so I could get my thoughts on paper and not have to address it. Um, I think the one thing that we heard from you, Kenny, was just that a dangerous precedent has been set now as to how a fight is being handled at the end, and we better get some resolution quickly or this is going to happen again. We're live this weekend. You know? Exactly. We're setting ourselves up to fail again and, and the problem is it goes even further now now we have you know the, this appeal that has been submitted and immediately rejected or you know ray doesn't have any more information than he had before so how are exactly. we supposed to succeed as coaches as fighters as teams if we don't even have the information that we want yeah i mean dude this is america man where the hell is the due process i mean what happened and like you feel it, powerless, no. right? You feel powerless as a coach, as a fighter. Oh, like, I tell you what, you feel, Kenny, it's a shitty feeling. Yeah. It really is. It's not a good feeling, I swear to God, because you're really kind of helpless, and they're just telling you, I mean, just you have to have some sort of due process. I mean, this guy's from the Republic of Georgia, and right. he probably has more rights. You know what I mean? This is horrible. Hear the guy out. He even put out a statement. They don't even want to hear what I have to say. Yeah. I That's mean, frustrating. Don't we want to evolve and get better? And it's not about being against somebody or the commission. 
It's about doing the right thing, and that's it. And for everybody to understand we're all on the same page. It's not asking for a lot. It really isn't. But, you know, there's so much infighting between the commissions and this and that that it's the fighters and the coaches and everybody else that's suffering. You know what I mean? And that's that's the way I look at it. This is an easy one to correct. This is a really easy one to correct. All right, well, before we get your thoughts on UFC 224, I just want to circle back on Aljamain Sterling because he was on our show right after you got off last week. And we talked a little bit about some of the Bantamweights coming up who are in action. Jimmy Rivera, Marlon Marais with a main event June 1st. Rob Font, Rafael Asuncao coming up in July. Of course, the title fight in August. But if the Dominic Cruz fight does not materialize for Aljo because Cruz continues on the men from a broken arm... How would you quantify Aljo's ability to step in and succeed if he only had a few weeks to get ready for one of the other big names in this division? You know, look, I, I think, uh, I mean, I, first off, I love the Dominic Cruz fight. I think that's a great fight. I'd love to see that. I'd love to train him for it. It'd be a challenge. Everybody respects Dominic Cruz and what he's done. So I think even for Aljo, that's just a big thing to be in the octagon, share the octagon with a guy like that. So I love sure. that fight. He's got a great team. You know, it's, it's just that that fight's just good, really good. I love it. Uh, look, Aljo's always in the gym. And I think sometimes for Aljo, short notice stuff might even be better for him because, you know, it doesn't give him time to really, like, think too much. And sure. as long as Aljo's in shape and he's doing the right thing, which I think is what he should be doing now when he gets back from vacation, I'm sure he'll, he'll jump right back in the gym. Uh, you know, now's the time. I mean, you know... These are opportunities that if somebody, you know, gets hurt, we're not wishing that on anybody. But if you're ready to step in and you could seize the moment, man, that's what it's all about, I think. And I think, you know, Chris Weidman was a perfect example of that, man. He took fights on very short notice because he had the belief in himself and he really wanted to get to the top. He was very focused. And I think all of these guys, you know, need to be doing the same thing. You have to train like you you always have to be ready for a fight a week from today. You know what I mean? Not even three weeks. You have to really be in shape for where these guys are at. That's the mentality I like. Be ready to go. If you get that call, you know, and the other guy's going to think you were sleeping, you're not. You're always ready to go. And these guys are at a point now where they can make money and jump into the, the limelight like that. I think that's that's the play, man, is for Aljo to always be ready. And if something happens, he's ready to jump in just like Al did. Right. Ray, you mentioned Chris Weidman. I want to talk about one of his opponents who are fighting, uh, or one of his former opponents that are fighting this weekend. Uh, Kelvin Gaslam taking on Jacare Souza. I'm sure you've uh, done your homework on, on these two guys. Who wins this fight? You know, look, this is, it's not like tricky. I mean, standing up wise, obviously, the edges to Gaslam. He's been a world beater. Uh, on the floor, I think Gaslam will get submitted. Jacare obviously is no joke. Uh, can he get that fight to the floor? I think when we were looking at Kelvin, we he's not frantic to defend the takedown. So we knew Chris would get him down. And I think when you got skills in that type of size uh, on the floor, that's going to be really bad for Kelvin. It's not like, like I think he could get up from the ground and pound, but I think if Jacare could get that to the floor, he's going to submit him. Now, can he get it to the floor? You know, I hope that's the, the I hope that's the correction that Kelvin makes. He gets a little frantic and he keeps that fight standing. He'll be very successful. So you got a bookie there in New York State. You got any action this weekend or no? Uh, no, it is a lot of bookies in New York, but uh, <laughs> I haven't even looked at. What What are the odds on that fight? 
Jacare is a minus 150 favorite. Kelvin Gastelum coming back at plus 120, so it's pretty close. I was asking because I need a book. I, I'm in trouble with my guy. Oh, you're. Oh, that's not good. If we see Anik, if we see Anik limping on the broadcast, we'll know what happened. <laughs> I'll call my guy Joe Matarats. We'll see what he <laughs> yeah. can do for you. All right, hey, last thing before we let you go, and I'm just sort of piggybacking on what you said about Aljamain Sterling and Chris Weidman. Weidman always stepping up and, and was on a relatively active schedule, and then all of a sudden you have this thumb some th- thumb surgery go sideways, and he's out a year. So. Isn't there a greater point here that, like, when you're healthy and you're primed, you got to try to fight, right? Because you just don't know when all of a sudden you tear an ACL and you're sidelined for 12 or 18 months. If you're healthy and a short-notice fight comes in, um, you got to sign it. Man, John, I tell you, really another great point. And even if you are healthy, this window in this sport is is small. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got to right. take everything you can get. So I think you bring up a great point, and I think, that's something that the younger guys coming up will learn from is that, man, when you're feeling good, bang out those fights, man. The activity will be good for you. If your body could hold up to it, you're training smart, you're doing everything right, I would take advantage of that. I think these guys, you know, could put away a little nest egg too for the future, and I think it's all good. But, yeah, take advantage of it when you're healthy, man. Health is wealth, man. You don't want to mess around with that and, uh, you know, do, do the things you want to do while you're healthy. Don't wait too long. I think that's a great point. Love it. No doubt about it, my man. All right, well, have a good week. Uh, we'll let you get back to the Matt Sarah induction speech, and, and we'll talk to you next I'll month. I'll tell you what, man, it's going good. <laughs> I bet it's it is. A bond burner. Oh, we're going to set him on fire, Kenny. <laughs> oh, that's a brother shine. Uh, oh. <laughs> I, I miss you guys. This is horrible. Don't yes. do this to me again. You can never take another week off. I never don't again. Battle bots, no battle bots. We can never take a week off. All I know oh, is, I'm, when, is when is when is the show air? I think this helped you. You've never looked better, Ray. The hair is just. <laughs> See, if I knew I was gonna rub off on you. See that? I'm feeling good, baby. I told you, health is wealth, man. I'm cranking. Yeah, baby. Thank all you, right, buddy. Guys, Have a great week. Me, all right. Man. See you, Ray. Ray. You too, man. Thanks. The Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And, Kenny, in terms of just that point on keeping an active schedule, and we talked about Aljamain Sterling and Israel Adesanya, Joanna Jacek, after the 25-minute championship title loss to Rose Namajunas, is stepping up here July 28th to fight Tisha Torres. I think it'll be the first time in nine fights that Joanna Jacek will be competing over 15 and not 25 minutes. Two schools of thought on this. You know, some suggested she was turning around too quickly for the Nama Yunus rematch, and now here she is turning around. So some probably say, oh, a little bit too soon. I would argue the other side of it. A lot of these athletes like to be in an active three-month schedule and to be competing. And I don't know how you – I don't know where you fall on this, but to me, training camp sounds like a real pain in the ass. You might as well fight every three months. Here's the deal. You know, you could be more accurate, um, especially early on in your career. I, I really believe that's one of the things that really helped me uh, coming off the Ultimate Fighter and people seeing my mug on television every week and then going in there and staying relatively active throughout my career career aside from a couple injuries um i was fighting three four times a year and and i think that helps a lot look at a guy like donald cerrone a guy who has never won the belt but he's as popular as ever he doesn't need the belt people are always going to tune in to watch this guy fight why not only is he exciting but as you said he's fighting all the time people know uh who cowboy is they see him regularly they see him 
performing uh, extremely well, win or lose. He's always out there to fight you. Um, yeah. And I think that helps a lot. That is your marketing. That is your ability to stay relevant. That's what's going to help you make more money. That's what's going to help you, um, you know, possibly get those title shots a little bit sooner because you are staying more active. Um, when you come into the UFC early on and you are young and you are fresh and you are injury-free, you want to stay as active as possible. Um, if you're in and out and you're fighting once every couple, you know, a, a year, it, it's not going to be enough. People aren't going to know who you are. People aren't going to want to follow your career. It's going to hurt you down the line. So uh, the more active you are, uh, there's a lot of benefits of even just coming in with a guy like Edesanya, getting used to the UFC, uh, getting used to the level right. there, you know, getting used to all the things that happen on fight week, getting more familiar with the octagon, getting more familiar with the UFC organization, getting more familiar with a fight week is going to yep. make you a better fighter, period. No doubt about it. And I also feel like, too, for a lot of these fighters, of course, I know maybe listening to this, I know it's not that easy, right? I know for a guy like Aljamain Sterling coming off a vacation to think about being 136 pounds on June 1st sounds like a huge ask. And that just is the weight, never mind all of the formal training. Right. And I know for a lot of fighters, they scream from the rooftops and they can't necessarily get the three fights a year. So I understand it's not a perfect equation, but my general philosophy on this for a long time has been if you're in the top 20, you got to be ready to go like 44 weeks a year, ideally. And if that means switching weight classes so you're at a more natural weight class, right. I feel like so be. I mean, how many non-championship main events has Donald Cowboy Cerrone gotten? Because he's always willing, regardless of opponent, whether it's Darren Till or Leon Edwards uh, or anybody else. But big picture on that discussion, July 28th in Calgary, Ioana Yemjacek, Tisha Torres. And there's sort of an untold backstory here, Kenny, and I hope more details come out as the fight gets closer, but I'm not saying Tisha Torres left American Top Team because of the presence of Joanna Yamjacek, but when Joanna arrived at ATT, she wasn't necessarily training with all of the straw weights that were already entrenched there, and yeah. she came in as a UFC champion, and I'm sure that resulted in her getting some sort of special treatment. I know she had a lot of her own people, but it seemed like there was a wedge there pretty early between Joanna and Tisha, and of course, several months thereafter, Tisha moved her training camp to Colorado. I know that was motivated more by Pennington than Joanna's presence yeah. there. But as the journalists out there dig deep, Kenny, there's an interesting rivalry underneath this matchup. And I'm excited for this fight July 28th. Absolutely. And I get that. You know, for Joanna, and I was talking to Alan Joban about this the other day and how, you know, if you get another person in your weight class and you're able to train with them, you have to be careful. You can't just go and start training with this person, Dan, start become friendly with this person, start to show things, start to show things in your game, uh, start to yeah. teach them a little bit how to do, you know, it, I, I, that's a tricky process, and, and Yuana Young-Jacek has been very smart about that. Now, she probably lost some great training partners because of that, but at yeah. the same time, there's no conflicts going forward. Tisha Torres is an excellent fighter. That's a person that if you train with, you're going, I might see them down the line. I'm, I'm right. going to leave them on the sideline a little bit. So I think that was a smart approach by Ioana. And I'm sure, again, being in the same gym and her maybe, uh, her being Ioana, getting more coaching time, um, you know, again, that, that starts to bother some of the other fighters in the gym. When you're not able to schedule things around your schedule and you see, you know, uh, a fighter get all the attention or most of the attention, um, it, it can really be frustrating. No, it's a great point. And you have to be selfish, especially at the yeah. elite levels. And it's not just Tisha Torres. you got Jessica Aguilar, of course, Nina Ansaroff. And I'm sure it's a tricky thing. We talk, talk so much about the martial arts being rooted in respect, and a lot of fighters would have walked in there and wanted to just – 
be sort of miscongeniality and be sort of amicable and, and just start working with those other fighters. Sure. But long term, that isn't necessarily the best decision. And now, of course, you see a fight between Joanna and Tisha materializing. And what a big opportunity now for Tisha Torres to put that Jessica Andrade result in the rearview mirror if she can beat the former champ. And, and how about this? If Tisha is able to pull it off because she actually can, I, I, I yeah. do think that Tisha could win that fight against Joanna. Yeah. Ioana would be 0-3 in her last three fights. Well, right, and that's a big part that's of the motivation crazy. for Ioana yeah. Jacek in getting back in there. You know, that this Wikipedia nuts, page man. doesn't look very fun right now with the L2 at the top of it. This right? sport is you know bananas. I mean? This is the level that people are at again, and we've seen it before. We've seen it with guys like Chris Weidman coming off losing his belt to losing four in a row. Anthony Pettis, uh, same thing. Uh, it, it can it can go south very quickly in this sport. There's so many great and hungry fighters out there uh, that are looking to take your place and, and make a name for themselves by beating a former champion. Uh, you lose one or two fights, you start to lose confidence. Man, wild. Brutal sport, man. Yeah. You know, I know we started the show talking about throwing a ball in a hole, right? A little bit of a different game here yes. uh, when it comes to fighting. Um, I know Paul Felder, Kenny, was very disappointed to not get a main event slot for this matchup with James Vick that was announced last week. It's number 11 versus number 14 here in the lightweight division. I think, candidly, this is a matchup and a fight that both guys probably would have liked to avoid as they try to climb this ladder. I like the fact that they got two ranked guys to sign on the dotted line. Yeah. I think you got to be a little bit disappointed for Paul Felder. He was hoping to get the main event slot in Boise, Idaho, to prove that he could headline for the promotion and fight five rounds. Maybe he thought there was an outside chance that because James Vick came off the Ultimate Fighter Live that they would get that main event slot on July 6th that went to Taboras and Adesanya. Mm -hmm. I understand Felder's disappointment, but I just want to get your overall thoughts on that matchup and both fighters' respective willingness to take that fight. This is a good fight, man. And again, yeah, I'm sure Felder uh, probably wanted another fight and, and wanted a main event slot, um, and, and Vic as well, for that matter. I think Vic's looking to really make a name for himself. He's been very vocal about guys avoiding him. Well... Uh, this is a good fight. Uh, these are guys, uh, two guys that come to fight. Felder, a phenomenal striker, a guy who is uh, very big for the division, taking on another gigantic uh, lightweight in James Vick. Uh, Got to be the tallest or one of the tallest uh, in that division right now in the UFC. Um, you know, long, uh, has good submissions as well, probably has advantage there against Felder. Uh, Felder is the more technical striker. There's no doubt about that. But James Vick it, is awkward. He has a rhythm that's hard to get onto. He'll land shots when you don't see him. He does have knockout power, um, and he can be awkward to get on the inside against. It, it could be a difficult challenge for Felder. So I'm curious to see how he approaches that fight. Um, this is going to be a classic. I, I really think these guys are going to go after it. Yeah, I think it could be a classic as yeah. well, and it looks like they are going to end up on the poster. I was going back and forth a little bit with Paul. He said they did tell him it was going to be the co-main event. It's Boise, Idaho, July 14th. And I just sort of, not reading too much into Felder's Instagram post, but he said, I guess it's on then. Sort of it was a reluctant acceptance on right. his part, at least in terms of something relating to this fight with James Vick. But you're right. I think stylistically it's absolutely fascinating. And big picture, the winner is going to set himself up for a big fight against somebody in that top 10 at 155 pounds. So hopefully that fight uh, stays on paper when it comes to the health of both fighters. And for Felder, of course, he was to face Ally Quinta. That was UFC 223 in April. Get some money for that win week but he'll have to wait till july 14th to get back inside that octagon 
Nate Diaz making news this week, or at least some reports of Nate Diaz. I think Brett Okamoto, ESPN.com, had something to the fact that Nate Diaz could return August 4th, Los Angeles, California, UFC 227. It's exciting news when you hear about Nate or Nick trying to return. Of course, we haven't seen Nate Diaz since the second Conor McGregor fight all the way back then. Um, Your thoughts on the news involving Nate Diaz and ultimately who you would like to see him share the octagon with if we are to believe that August 4th has any legs at all. That's good news. Listen, I, I, I love watching uh, Nate and Nick fight. Uh, I've been fans of theirs since the very beginning, and um, those are guys that you can rely on again and, and can rely on for a very long time to deliver an exciting fight. Um, those are finishers, uh, whether it's on the feet or on the ground. They're always looking for the finish. Um, and, uh, again, we have a superstar that we haven't seen in a long time. And for Nate Diaz, obviously he's been pursuing that fight against Conor McGregor. He's been pursuing those big fights, those super fights. There was talk about him and, and Tyron Woodley. Um, I think that'd be interesting. I, I really do. I, I think that uh, it, it'd be an interesting fight uh, for Nate. Nate is looking for a big fight. I, I heard that maybe there was some talk about a fight against George St. Pierre. My understanding is that George probably wouldn't be interested in that fight. Um, but um, I, I expect a big name in there against Nate Diaz. And the fact that they're able to get that going or hopefully get that going and, and we get a chance to see him in the octagon again means that he's probably getting what he wants uh, monetarily you know, to compete inside the octagon. Um, yeah. Obviously, we know he's going to get a huge payday if he fights a Conor McGregor. Would he get a huge payday if he fought anybody else? Well, it looks like we have that answer. He's probably going to get paid and get paid very well, whoever it may be. Um, and w- I guess if I had to pick someone right now, maybe it's a Tyron Woodley. And it's crazy to think that Nate Diaz could be competing for the UFC welterweight championship here in a few short months. But Tyron Woodley has had that name on the tip of his tongue for a long time. And perhaps that ultimately does materialize. We've spent a lot of time on this show talking about Nate Diaz as a pay-per-view draw and maybe what we know or don't know about what the internal metrics say about Nate Diaz's ability to move a number and help push that Dillashaw Garbrandt pay-per-view. I don't know. But I just know that when these guys make any sort of headline, it feels like it is major, major news, at yeah. least with me as a fight fan. I feel like it's going to come out of the Dustin Poirier, Eddie Alvarez, Kevin Lee, Troika of UFC lightweight contenders. Mm-hmm. The one thing that Nate Diaz-Kenny has over most of these guys at 155 pounds is the fact that everybody in the top 15 is dying to fight him, whether it's because he has a big name or because they think it is a stylistically favorable matchup. So I think the Kevin Lee-Nate Diaz fight has a ton of legs, and man, the promotion would be absolutely insane. I think the Eddie Alvarez fight deserves some strong consideration, and there are reports that Dustin Poirier would accept the Nate Diaz fight. It would be one of the few fights maybe that he would fight that wouldn't, be a championship fight so I think Nate's got a lot of options I just hope that uh it ends up happening on August 4th so this weekend Kenny it's going to be Amanda Nunes and Raquel Pennington and for Nunes she has obviously gotten the UFC spotlight several times before she has headlined twice well once she should have headlined twice during international fight week but UFC 213 obviously she did not fight Valentina Shevchenko Mm -hmm. now for Nunes she's still four title defenses away from tying Ronda Rousey's record of six in this women's bantamweight division but largely she has been dominant two successful title defenses and I got to think for Nunes she's just excited to not be sharing the octagon with, with Valentina Shevchenko who is tough and durable and a real pain in the ass she's learned that twice I think Nunez is really just buoyed by the fact that she's getting some fresh blood here this weekend. 
Yeah, absolutely, and it's going to give her a lot of confidence knowing that she's gone against, you know, in, in my opinion, superior strikers to someone like Raquel Pennington. Uh, beating someone like Shevchenko not only once but twice going, you know, uh, what is it, you know, almost 40 minutes with someone like that um, right. is is going to give you a lot of experience and a lot of confidence coming off of those wins. So uh, I think for Amanda... Um, you know, while she can lose this fight, this is her fight to lose. I, I think she's better on the feet. She's better on the ground. She's more experienced. Um, she's going to have to use her footwork to get in, get out, land those shots, land some counter strikes when uh, Pennington comes forward, and also try to mix things up. Try to put Pennington on her back a little bit. Uh, try to wear her down. Try to slow her down. Um, using kicks as well, uh, you know, to slow down that lead leg uh, of Pennington will serve her well. But Here's the thing. Pennington can take a lot of punishment. She's also the kind of fighter that really doesn't get down on herself. She thrives when she deals yeah. with adversity. She can continue going forward. She has a very good chin. Um, she's grimy. She can grind out uh, rounds, and she knows how to win rounds. I think she's fought way smarter in her last few fights. You see her coming in here with a lot of momentum. Um, you know, And I also think coaching is helping her a lot. She's been helping uh, Tisha Torres with her game and some of the other fighters. And I think anytime you're able to mentor fighters and coach other people, it gets you to question what you do. It gets you to answer those, when do I do this? Why do I do this? How yeah. does this work? And you start to kind of reverse engineer your own game and you get a deeper understanding of what you're doing. And I think that helps you tremendously as a fighter. So I think Raquel's coming in here with a lot of positives here against Amanda Nunes, not to mention the fact that she has no pressure going into this fight. Yeah, no, I think you set up the fight well. The betting odds say minus 600 for Nunes, plus 400 for Raquel Pennington. Pennington has won her last four, but the last fight was against Misha Tate, November 2016. That was the first night the UFC was ever at Madison Square Garden, so all the way back at UFC 205. I'll get into some of the health history on Raquel Pennington later in terms of the surgery she had after the Misha Tate fight, the ATV accident, and all of that coming up shortly with Matthew Holt in the main event challenge. First, though, support. For the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button and in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash anik, rocketmortgage.com slash A-N-I-K, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, Matthew Holt is on hold. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The Main Event Challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Flo, I'm telling you, my goal is to have the Quicken Loan 60-second spot memorized by the end of 2018. <laughs> I think you could do it. 
I'm getting close. Yeah. All right, before we get to Matthew Hole, quick update to the standings. So you went head-to-head with our girl Emma all the way back in April for the Atlantic City show. Yeah. Uh, the highlight for Emma, not only picking Kevin Lee to beat Edson Barboza, but she picked him to get the finish in round five. So Emma oh. wins the week. 4-3 for Team Anik, thereby extending my squad's lead to 48-36. Heading into UFC 224. Uh, and we feel pretty good about padding the cushion today as well because joining us from Vegas – the Chief Operating Officer at CG Analytics, the VP of Business Development for CG Technology. Matthew Holt is back. My man, Matthew, it's good to see you. How you doing? John, Kenny, how we doing today? And if I remember right, I think I got Kenny last time when we did John Jones uh, and Daniel Cormier, too. Wow, you're going to go there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you did, you did get him at UFC 214. Matthew, before we get into UFC 224 and, and your main card selections, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the Vegas Golden Knights because I lived in Vegas for four years and I have a soft spot for the city. I know you call Las Vegas home and what this hockey team has done in its expansion season to get to the Western Conference Finals and they look for my money destined to make it to the cup final. Is there any point of comparison for you in professional sports history in terms of what this hockey team has already accomplished this season? No, it's hard for me to put into words or even kind of compare this to anything else I've ever seen in sports. Look, I grew up in Boston, a diehard Red Sox fan. I used to stand on Yaki Way outside and get a sausage before the games. I've seen the Red Sox fans. I've seen those rabid Celtics fans during the Larry Bird, Kevin McHale era. I have never seen a community grasp onto a team like this one has here, the Las Vegas uh, community with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And I think a little bit of it is, You know, it's a perfect timing here. We had a terrible tragedy with the shooting here. The very next week, the Golden Knights played their first game. The Vegas Strong logo came out. The community rallied around this team. And suddenly there has been a deep connection entrenched here with this community and this hockey team. And what an amazing season for an expansion team. Wow, the Golden Knights are on fire. I'm telling you, I mean, it may be Tampa Bay. Maybe it'll be the Pittsburgh-Washington winner. I think the Caps might get it done. But I, right now, I think the Vegas Golden Knights might be hoisting Lord Stanley's Cup, which is absolutely insane. And I'm glad you mentioned sort of this deep connection with fans because even a lot of our UFC staffers, you know, Michael LaPlante, a, a, a transplant from San Diego, and Zach Candido, our buddy who grew up in Boston, taking his kids to Vegas Golden Knights game. I mean, people really care in Vegas. And now that the Bruins are out, man, the Golden Knights have my heart as well so let's see uh how far they can take this thing but we got to talk about this main card here coming up ufc 224 in rio this weekend pretty strong i think top to bottom let's start fellas with the main card opener kind of surprising these two men haven't fought before 48 ufc appearances combined between vitor belfort and Lyoto machida in this spot matthew vitor the minus or excuse me the plus 200 underdog Lyoto machida the minus 260 favorite machida won his last fight it was a 25-minute decision against Eric Anders. Vitor, of course, was to fight Uriah Hall in January, but Hall was unable to go. So for Vitor, it's been an 11-month layoff since he beat Nate Marcourt in Rio last June at UFC 212. Matthew, Belfort the dog, Machida the favorite. Who do you like? I got to go with Vitor here, but it's really interesting. And I compare this fight very closely to Fedor versus Frank Mir, which happened last week, in the sense that you don't know what type of shape these two veterans are going to come in on. 
And we saw the weigh-in with Mir and Fedor, with Mir in maybe the best shape we've seen him in in years. I've been asking people uh, in, in, the, in and around the UFC circles how Vitor has looked. A lot of people said they haven't seen him yet. So for me, this is a scary pick because I don't know anyone who has actually seen Vitor you know, in the last week or so to tell me how he looks coming into this fight. Regardless of that, I'm going to have to take a chance that it, the Vitor is going to be in the top shape that he can be in, and that's too big of a price for me. For a Lyoto Machida who's a little bit timid at times and can give away rounds, I'm going to go ahead and take the big plus with Vitor Belfort. Yeah, that's good analysis there, and if memory serves, I think Machida was an underdog his last time out against the younger, fresher, more prime Eric Anders. Ken Flo, your thoughts on Belfort? Could be the last time we see him inside the octagon as he takes on Machida this weekend. Right. Uh, big question mark here. You know, for Vitor Belfort, obviously fighting in Rio, uh, it possibly being his last fight um, of his life, uh, you have to imagine he's going to be very motivated to try to go out with a win against another legend, Leota Machida. Um, however, I, I think for Leota, Leoto, I saw a lot of good signs in his last fight. He was fighting a lot smarter. Just going to go with Machida here. here. All right, Leoto Machida, the chalk pick there for Ken Flo. That brings us to what is a big fight at Bantamweight. John Lineker, Brian Kelleher. We mentioned Kelleher earlier, Kenny, and just his willingness to step up. This is going to be the fifth UFC appearance for Kelleher all inside 11 months. That said, he's the dog here, plus 185. John Lineker, Matthew, the minus 235 favorite, trying to make it eight wins in his last nine. Who do you like, John Lineker, Brian Kelleher here Saturday night? I really don't like laying big minuses too much in MMA because with four-ounce gloves, anything could happen. But I'm heavy on John Lineker here. I am not a big Brian Kelleher fan, especially in terms of this matchup. I know we got the guillotine choke submission over Uri, uh, Uri Alcantara in his UFC debut, but that was a fight where Uri actually knocked him down multiple times in the first round and was chasing him to the ground after one of those knockdowns and got caught in that guillotine. I thought it was a little bit quick, uh, a little bit of a quick tap too there as well. Uh, I thought Marlon Vera looked much the better, although that fight didn't last long, less than half a round before Vera submitted him. Uh, granted, he had an impressive win off Henan Brow, but I'm not sure what wins against Henan Brow at this point really mean. John Lineker is just, fu- you know, look at his resume. Look at the guys that he's in there with and who he beats. You know, beat Marlon Vera, beat John Dodson, albeit a very competitive fight. Knocked out Michael McDonald, beat a really strong Rob Font. I think John Lineker is a beast. I think this is a mismatch, really. Uh, I think Kelleher is tough, and he'll probably hang in there, but it's really hard for me to envision Kelleher winning this fight. I'm going to go ahead and lay the 230 with John Lineker. Ken Flo, I think Matthew and I are on the same page when it comes to John Lineker's body of work. Every time you break it down, it's like, man, he fought that big name and beat that guy. Still has a lot of momentum, still a guy who hasn't, realize that elusive first UFC title shot. If it is going to materialize, this is one he has to have on Saturday night. Which way you going, Lineker v. Kelleher? Yeah, that's right. You know, for – this is a tough one. Uh, again, you know, for Kelleher, I think he's very tough. I think he's another guy who can put you away with uh, combination after combination. Um, the problem for Keller is is his style, and, and it's what makes him such an exciting fighter, but also is what makes him extremely vulnerable against a hard-hitting guy like a John Lineker. 
Keller hits hard. He doesn't hit as hard as Lineker, in my opinion. Yeah. I think Lineker is one of those guys, one of the few guys at 135 pounds that if he lands that one shot, he's going to knock you out. Kelleher, not necessarily known for his elusiveness or uh, for his footwork. Those are the kind of guys that are going to give Lineker trouble. Guys like John Dodson who are going to move around a lot, not going to engage in a lot of um, flurries. Kelleher will, and I don't think that will favor him well here against a guy like Lineker. i got to go with John Lineker. Wow, both picks on John Lineker there, and both with conviction. Uh, let's move on now to Mackenzie Dern for the first time in her pro MMA career. Uh, her famed father, Wellington Megatone Diaz, will be in the building. So Dern, the minus 240 favorite here, Matthew, the comeback on Amanda Cooper, plus 190. Ultimately, how competitive a fight are you expecting here, and which side do you fall on? So I'm actually going to go on a different angle in this fight and take the under two and a half rounds. Look, I think Mackenzie Dern had a really tough struggle in her in her debut. And, uh, you know, she had to get her feet under her. And like, you know, like we saw with Dylan Danis and a lot of these jujitsu specialists, Mackenzie Dern probably has a long way to go in terms of her footwork, in terms of striking, her defensive striking. Uh, But I think she's going to get there because she's such an uber talent here. I think the UFC did a good job of matchmaking here in terms of helping Dern look really successful on a main card. Because while Amanda Bobby Cooper's tough, she punches hard, all three of her losses come by submission, playing right into the game of Mackenzie Dern. Not only do I like Dern, but I don't really want to lay the 240. Instead, I'm going to go under two and a half rounds at even money that Mackenzie Dern gets that submission win in the first or second round. Certainly a lot more value on that side of things, Kenny. As far as this fight is concerned, I feel like Dern is more the wild card here. Not that Cooper can't continue to evolve and get better. We've seen her five or six times in the UFC, at least four at this point in time. But for Dern, training camp moving from Arizona to California, so much talent and so much ability that if she feels like internally, Kenny, I feel like if she can get past the weight cut, there are a few women in this division that can beat her. I feel like when her MMA work ethic catches up with that ability, she could be the best in the world. But at least right now, I think there are a lot of variables when it comes to Mackenzie Dern, the quick turnaround, the change of training camp. Your thoughts on on what's in front of Mackenzie Dern this week? Well, you mentioned the work ethic, and again, while I don't know exactly uh, you know much about Mackenzie Dern's training habits for mixed martial arts, um, we do know that she was asked to leave the MMA lab in Arizona. Uh, they weren't so happy with her work output, so. Um, interesting story there, uh, kind of forcing her to do most of her training in Southern California now. Um, yeah, and I think you know she is still young, and as she gets older, she'll understand. Listen, this is a this is an important game, and this is a dangerous game. I better know how to strike. I better know how to wrestle out there because. My life is on the line out there, really, at the end of the day. And while I think Amanda Cooper is a superior striker to Mackenzie Dern, uh, she's a good striker. She's pretty solid uh, all the way around. She's okay on the ground. Um, I, I think Mackenzie's going to find a way to get, get this fight to the, to the mat and, and get a submission. You know, I, I think Mackenzie um, was a little bit frustrated in her first fight. I think she learned a lot, though, to go in there and get 15 minutes in against a tough fighter uh, in her last one against Ashley Yoder. Uh, and to learn from that and still come away with a win, uh, I think is going to buoy her. Uh, I think Mackenzie gets the win by sub. Um, yeah, probably round one or round two. 
Great point, too, on the Ashley Yoder fight and the value of those 15 minutes. Of course, Mackenzie Dern narrowly escaping that night with a win by split decision. And Mackenzie Dern has said this week uh, that Ashley Yoder is a much tougher fight for her than Amanda Cooper. So we'll see if uh, that dovetails with the action we see on Saturday night. All right, co-main event. I mean, can I fucking stand up yet? Middleweight title eliminator, Jacare Souza, Kelvin Gastelum. Souza minus 150, Gastelum plus 120. Matthew, I think Jacare proved a lot to himself with that knockout of Derek Brunson back in January. He had dealt with a lot of injuries, hadn't been all that active over the previous year. So I think he's going to be buoyed by that result a lot. But he has taken on a young lion here in Kelvin Gastelum and a young prime fighter that I think a lot of betters might be enticed to play at plus money. He knocked out Michael Bisping in Shanghai back in November. Your thoughts on the co-headliner this weekend, Jacare Souza and Kelvin Gastelum? And you certainly put it right, John, in terms of betters are enticed to play Kelvin Gastelum here. We've seen a lot of sharp action on Gastelum here. Um, But one of our sharpest MMA betters is on Jacare Souza, as well as I am here. And when you go back and look at Kelvin Gastelum's resume, what stands out to me is what are his three toughest fights out of his last ten? Chris Weidman, Neil Magny, Tyron Woodley, he lost all three of those fights. I don't want to take anything away from him for the knockout over Michael Bisping, but that was a Bisping on a really quick turnaround coming off that emotional GSP defeat. Uh, You know, he knocked out Vitor Belfort at a time where Vitor was really struggling, Uh, you know, kind of the post-steroid era Vitor there. You know, the Tim Kennedy knockout was nice, and, and he does carry a lot of power. Don't get me wrong, he hurt Chris Weidman in the first round of that fight. So I'm not taking anything away from the punching power of Kelvin Gastelum, but he's a smaller middleweight. People don't realize how small he is at five foot nine fighting at 185 pounds. Kelvin Gastelum essentially gives up height, reach and size advantages to every single one of his opponents at 185. And Jacare Souza might be one of the greatest jujitsu MMA practitioners that we've ever seen in the middleweight division. His losses are really contentious. I mean, look, I thought he beat Yoel Romero in that controversial split decision loss. He got legitimately knocked out by Robert Whitaker, and that's fine. A lot of people do. Love the way he rebounded with the the Derek Brunson win. That's a really impressive win. And look at some of his wins. Beat Gegard Mousasi, beat Derek Brunson. He also beat Vitor in the same kind of time frame. I thought he beat Yoel Romero. I thought this price should have been closer to Jacare minus 200. Thus, at the minus 145 range, I think there's a lot of value on Jacare. Love it. See why I call on the big guns, Matthew Hole, for pay-per-view weeks, man? I mean, beautiful. Just tremendous insight into how a betting public might look at a number versus uh, versus the Sharps and the Wise Guys. Ken Flo, I love this fight. I don't know who's going to win it. I do know that if Gasolum wins it, we're about the same height for that post-fight interview. I mean, Matthew's right on that. He is not much more than 5'9", but a lot of people have sort of fancied Gasolum a future champion for some time. Great opportunity and a title eliminator to prove it here this weekend. What we do know is Matthew Holt did his damn homework. My goodness. <laughs> well, listen, I, I think uh, Kelvin uh, is the kind of fighter that really shows up when the lights are brightest. I think that... On a technical level, on the feet, I think he's a superior striker to Souza. Um, but as Matt said, I, I think he's right. The big challenge for Gastelum is the size and the power of Jacare Souza. Getting on the inside is not going to be easy for the southpaw Gastelum. Um, he Gastelum throws a tremendous 3-2 combination or 1-2 combination, that jab cross or hook cross combination. He throws it very well. He knows how to fight like a southpaw. 
But where he has challenges is against guys who are very good with their takedowns and guys that are bigger than him. I think Kelvin can be a champion in this sport. I just think he's in the wrong weight class right now yep. to do it. I don't think he can do it at, in the middleweight division. I do think he can do it at welterweight, however. He's going against, like Matt said, um, the, the, the top three Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners that we have ever seen in the octagon. Uh, Jacare, if he gets you on the ground, it's over. It's only a matter of time. Um, we can go back to that Romero fight where it really could have gone either way. I thought Souza w was kind of cheated out of getting a point deduction uh, from Romero. Um, I thought he should have won that fight because of that. Um, also, in that fight against Whitaker, uh, we can't forget he was injured. He had a torn pec uh, or torn bicep in that fight, um, so he was not at full strength at all. He right. competed anyway. Uh, still uh, relatively competitive up to the point where he got caught, but you could see Jacare was not the same. Jacare doesn't have the best footwork, but um, I, I think he has the power to get him through this fight. I also think he has the takedowns uh, to challenge Kelvin. Um, I, I think Jacare pulls off this win. Jacare Souza, 38 years old, but as we mentioned, not all that active over the last 18 to 24 months. All right, main event for the UFC Women's Bantamweight Championship. Amanda Nunes, without a loss in nearly four years, she's twice defended this title. Title defenses against Ronda Rousey, then, of course, Valentina Shevchenko. Now, those two fights were close on paper. This one, at least according to the odds makers, is not. Nunes, minus 600. Raquel Pennington, the plus 400 underdog in some part because she has not fought in 18 months. I'm quickly just going to set up the Pennington injuries, and then, Matthew, the floor is yours, and we will get your main event prediction. We'll need the round and the method of victory as well. But So right after the Misha Tate fight, Raquel Pennington had three major surgeries. So she had her right shoulder completely reworked. She had a wrist surgery. She had a mouth surgery. Then she had the ATV accident, which could have been a whole lot worse than it was, but still resulted in another four-month recovery. So Raquel Pennington said, I believe on the MMA hour, if you go back and watch the Misha Tate fight, she was jabbing all night because she couldn't even throw that right hand. So not only did Raquel Pennington beat Misha Tate in her last fight um, all banged up, but now we haven't seen her in 18 months. So she is a massive wild card. I do not know. Kenny, I, I know you set up a lot of the good things that Pennington does, her grimy nature. She's tough. I don't know what type of Raquel Pennington fight we are going to get this weekend. So with that whole backdrop, Matthew, uh, the floor is yours. Who do you like here in the main event? So here's the slight dilemma here. So obviously for this show purposes at the minus 600 price, I think you have to go with Amanda Nunez because there's so much value. But let me give you the odds right now with the top five books in Las Vegas. Minus 1,100, minus 1,300, minus 1,000, minus 900, minus 1,000. So those minus 600 odds wow. have climbed so high now at this point where I actually feel like maybe the value is with Rocky Pennington. At minus 600, I probably would have gone with Nunez. At minus, you know, at plus 7, plus 8, plus 900, maybe the right. value starting to get there with Rocky Pennington. That's very interesting, right, to think that Pennington is getting into not like a Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey stratosphere, Kenny, but obviously – you know, parlay fodder, right? Not as though all of the betters on my level are betting Amanda Nunes straight, but throwing her in with every other straight wager they're placing for UFC 224. Those little bets can start to push the number. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, Kenny, I need to know who you think is going to win this fight and how they're going to get it done. Listen, at the end of the day, we've broken it down. I, I just don't see an area of the mixed martial arts game where Pennington can win this fight. I think Nunes is going to be way too much. I see her getting the stoppage in the second round.
All right, Amanda Nunez by stoppage in round two. KO or sub, Ken Flo, for the record? KO. Okay. And then quickly, a couple quick picks on the way out if you guys have any feel either way. Uh, these are prelims coming up this weekend at 185 pounds. Carl Robertson, minus 155 against the far more UFC-tested Cesar Mutanchi Fajeda, who is plus 125. And then we have a matchup of two of the top 14 heavyweights in the UFC. Junior Albini off the loss to Andre Arlovsky. He's the minus 140 favorite here. Alexi Olenek is at plus 110. Matthew, any feel on either of those two fights? And we'll certainly take a winner if you have one. Yeah, Mutante, one of my favorite picks on this card at a plus 140 currently. Carl Roberson getting a lot of love and deservedly so. Undefeated, certainly probably has a bright future ahead of him. But we have to remember here that Mutante is on, has won four of his last five fights with the only loss to Elias Theodoro, who's really good, owns a win over Jack Hermanson, who's also fighting on this card. Uh, Anthony Lionheart-Smith, he owns a win over him, coming off the win over Nate Marquardt. This is a guy that's been in there. He's been in some tougher fights. He's a little bit battle-tested. He certainly has had his own struggles in the UFC, uh, especially as a favorite coming off the tough show where he started to be a, a favorite for a while and was a favorite who wasn't getting the job done. But in the underdog role here, I think there's a lot of value in Mutante to get it done over the undefeated prospect, Carl Roberson. Yeah, I saw it that way, and again, I write down what I think the odds are going to be before I look at Vegas's odds, and I thought Mutanchi would be about a minus-140 favorite. So yeah. certainly Carl Robertson, Kenny off of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. A lot of steam with the hardcore fans out there. He is an undefeated fighter, which I know is something that people pay attention to. Uh, who do you like there, Robertson, uh, Mutanchi? I just think he's the better striker as well. Um, I think he's big for the weight class. Mutanchi tends to take advantage of that. Um, I'm going to go with Robertson. I think he gets it done. All right, Robertson for K-Flow. And then, Kenny, real quick, Junior Albini, Andre Arlovsky, who do you like? Uh, Albini is facing Arlovsky here? No, no excuse me, Alexi Olenek. Olenek, Olenek, yeah, yeah. Albini Olenek. That was his last one, yeah. So, Correct. Albini, uh, you know, I was really disappointed in his last performance, but I think he gets back on track here against Olenek and gets a stoppage. Okay. All right, Junior Albini back on track for the flow. All right, Matthew Holt, CG Technology on Twitter. You can find him at Matthew Holt VP. Matthew, appreciate the time as always, man. Hopefully the Golden Knights keep it going, and hopefully it's a big weekend uh, at the window for a lot of betters here for 224. Gracious of your time as always, man. Thank you. Thanks, Kenny. Thanks, John. Best of luck this weekend, Thanks, guys. dude. Take care. All right, Matthew Holt, VP on Twitter. Matthew, gracious to join us here today uh, for the main event challenge. All right, before we go, I just want to shout out Ray Borg and his family. As many of our listeners know, Ray Borg's son has had to undergo multiple brain surgeries at this point in, in time, Kenny, a newborn baby. And I know this hits close to home. You have just, you know, had a baby and welcomed a child into this world not all that long ago. And I know, you know, I've had a kid in the NICU. I certainly didn't have a kid who underwent surgeries so shortly after coming into this world. But uh, it's just not always two nights and then home for a lot of these parents. And I just want to sh shout out Ray Borg. It looks like maybe they're starting to come out the other side. But I just wanted to, to shout out Ray Borg here on the back end. Yeah, th this was a story that really broke my heart. And again, you know, uh, given what I've dealt with over the last few years, I did not take this for granted. But just having your wife give birth and make sure that she's healthy and the baby is 100% healthy is truly a gift because you never know what could happen out there. And um, the fact that they have to go through this and that the baby has to go through this this early um, is just, it, it's devastating, man. I mean, it must be tough. Um, my heart goes out to those, uh, to that family. And, um, you know, I hope everything turns out okay. 
Amen to that. Looks like the seizures have stopped, so that is definitely an encouraging sign for uh, for Ray Borg and family. Of course, he's not going to fight Brandon Moreno. Uh, I think Alessandre Pantoja stepping up in Chile, but hopefully Ray Borg gets back in due time. But right now, his focus, of course, is in the right place with his family. Um, all right, we got to get out of here. Thanks to Matthew Holt. Thank you to Ray Longo. I am headed to Rio de Janeiro for UFC 224. Uh, for Ken Flo. You got that desk hustle this this weekend, kid? What do you got? The going desk on? hustle. I don't think I got the desk okay. hustle this weekend. I think I'm on the the following weekend or the following fight. But I do have BattleBots on on Friday night. If you guys want to check it out on Discovery Channel, um, it's it's going to be a fun season. That's going to be the first episode. So uh, I appreciate that that plug, John. Thank you. All right, season three, even though I didn't do it for you off the top of the show, I apologize. Season three, <laughs> BattleBots, Discovery Channel. You got to let me know. I know, you know you let I me know. know. Dude, I will I will fire it. I'll promote BattleBots better than man. Ray Longo ever did. <laughs> um, all right, so we are back next Monday. So I am trying to get back here in time to do the show next Monday. I'm flying out of Rio on Sunday, but we should be back with you Monday morning. We'll recap the pay-per-view and then look ahead to that new look UFC fight night, Maya versus Usman from Santiago, Chile. Also, special thanks today to Fox Sports' John Hill and Jeff Williams stepping up in Ben Wasorek's absence. We appreciate you fellas as well. With that, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Appreciate everybody listening as usual. We'll talk to you again in a week. Until then, yo fucking later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Hello, I am Dr. George Jesus Mesa, a clinical psychologist and collector of Chicano Latinx art. For generations, we have known of the healing powers of art at an individual and community level. Please join us as we interview prominent artists, collectors, curators, and influencers in the world of Chicano Latinx art. We will explore historical, regional, and political influences that impact Chicano Latinx art today. Along with our partners at www.latinoarte.com, we are preserving the colorful and rich history of Chicano Latinx art for future generations, one interview at a time. Please join us at Healing with Dr. George, the power of Chicano Latinx art, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.